you asked and we heard you. So many of you have reached out to us to ask for tips on writing, and today is (laughs) your day. Writing is the ultimate executive functioning exercise. We talked all about this in last week's episode, episode 20, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet, just go ahead and scroll back in your podcast app and give that a download as well. Last week, we answered the question, why is writing so hard? Today, we're going to tell you what to do about it. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 21 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Kapp. Today is the day you've all been waiting for, and we're tackling how to make writing easier for your students. This is one of our most requested episodes. We hear you, and we're excited to deliver this to you today. As always, we want to remind you of our spaghetti philosophy. I love this one. (laughs) We're throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. This is the explicit benefit of having a trained educational therapist work with you or your child one-on-one. The strategies we give in sessions to our clients are based on their personality, affinities, and interests. Nothing is a one-size-fits-all solution. The same goes in our one-on-one strategy sessions, where we work remotely with parents and help them tailor and prioritize the strategies to try with their children. If you're interested in working with us, you can learn more about that on our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com, under the Work With Us tab. So remember, this episode is entirely spaghetti. We're throwing a lot at you, and we advise that you try one strategy at a time. You're not likely to see improvements or any benefit if you try everything at once, and that's going to make you crazy. Only a couple of the noodles will stick on the wall at any given time, to extend the metaphor, and we want you to have some small measure of success to build upon with your student. Before we dig into what to do about making writing easier for these students, we wanted to give you a quick recap of some of what we discussed in last week's episode. So Steph, why is writing so hard? So writing is so difficult, like we explained in episode 20, is that writing is all executive function. And if you guys remember from episode five, executive function is hard for a lot of people. And most people struggle somewhere with executive function. When it comes to writing, students are simultaneously and spontaneously, quote unquote, supposed to prioritize, plan, execute, attend to the nuances of language, and respond to prompts. By the way, anytime you hear or say the phrase supposed to, please take pause. It's not automatic for many, many students. And that phrase in and of itself makes students feel inadequate and deficient. Writing is incredibly complicated. So Steph and I are going to give you the first four of our nine strategies to try with students who struggle with writing and really with executive functioning. In our minds, these are intrinsically linked 
And so what we're going to try to do is give you some strategies that supports the executive functioning along the journey of producing written language and written content. So the first strategy to make writing a bit easier is graphic organizers. So Rach, what are graphic organizers? I love graphic organizers. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> so the simplest explanation that I have for a graphic organizer, which is one that I feel like the majority of adults have some experience with, is a Venn diagram. So to give you the visual, a Venn diagram is that circle with an intersecting circle. And so if we were doing a Venn diagram of me and Steph, <laughs> I would be one circle and Steph would be the other circle. And we would have this intersectionality of the things we have in common. So I would argue Steph and I have a big section that's overlapping <laughs> because we have so many things that are similar. For example, we both love the educational therapy. <laughs> we both love to calendar. We both love dogs. But something that would be on the outside is where we would differ. So Steph actually has dogs, and I live in a place where dogs are not allowed, unfortunately. That is a graphic organizer. A graphic organizer is a visual component that helps students or people come up with ideas. Really, truly, it gives a framework for how to think about something. I use graphic organizers with students of all ages. I would say elementary age students are definitely more comfortable with them. Middle school and high school students can tend to feel like they're quote unquote for babies. But once they start, you just rolled your eyes yeah. off. I'm laughing. Yeah. yeah. Once they start to use them effectively and it helps them elicit thoughts and kind of gives a structure of where you put things and how to organize your paper. If you're a high school student or you have a two, three page paper that's due they really start to jump on board with them because it's basically giving them the framework. It is. It's almost like once you leave elementary school, they're forbidden for some reason. And I don't know why teachers stop using them. And it's almost like the kids don't know how to use them anymore. Not only do they not know how to use them, but they literally don't know what to Google to find a graphic organizer online. Let me tell you people... There are hundreds of thousands of graphic organizers that come up just based off a of Google search. I feel like, Steph, in the future, you and I actually need to do an episode that digs into why students don't know how to Google appropriately and how to teach them how to do a keyword search. I can't tell you how many times I've had a student literally in math write how do I fill in the blank? So how do I solve a system of equations? I'm like, you don't need how do I. And in fact, that's going to narrow the search. Just search the keywords, which is system of equations, and something's going to pop up. There's going to be a YouTube video. But we actually have to teach our population oftentimes to not put the entire question in a Google search. Steph, do you have this in your practice? No, I don't actually, because most of my students don't have computers. So I'm oh, not necessarily practicing that with them. I have a book and I might have them look and I might make yes. a couple of copies and yes. let them choose or I have some that are printed out already. So not as often are they sitting there Googling, Googling that sort of thing. So unless it's on their phone. So to be clear, you have a book of graphic organizers, I do. I which is... 
I think it's called the big book of graphic organizers. Making a note, making a note to buy that right now. <laughs> so it's actually really great because there's different levels of the same type of organizer. We'll link that in those show notes too. Yeah. So I'll have different types of things depending on what we're working on to help the kids break it down. And some kids are visually drawn to a Venn diagram and some kids are visually drawn to little pictures or things like that, especially if they're not big writers, I'll let them draw pictures. So yep. even if they're older, it really depends on what you need out of a graphic organizer or really what your student needs out of a graphic organizer. There are many reasons that I really enjoy doing this podcast. Steph and I talk about so much off air just in our daily text conversation, which really never gets a break. And you've never once mentioned this book to me. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever said to you that I almost exclusively Google graphic organizers. Yeah, no. So we've never really had this conversation. This makes it all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So the next big thing to discuss. Strategy number two. Strategy number two is high interest subject matter. Now, I'm going to take a step back. High interest subject matter is going to be something that your child is really into. So if that means that it's going to be about video games, then it's going to be about video games. Now, we understand that you're not always going to have a choice. Your student isn't always going to have a choice. But when we're practicing writing, it's best to use something that they're really into right now. So, for instance, I have a couple of kiddos that are in fourth grade and boys, and we're reading a book called Trapped in a Video Game. Hmm. I'm using this book because we're practicing reading and all comprehension and all that. But we're also using this as a gateway to start writing about certain things going on in the book that are of high interest. So if you're a little boy and you really are into video games, being trapped in a video game that's going to bring up a lot of interesting ideas and high high interest for them. So keep that in mind. We're saying high interest when you're practicing or when you do get the opportunity, but you're not always going to get that. So if this is a principle for Steph and I that comes up again and again in almost every subject matter or in any kind of educational goal that we have for a student, which is we want to teach the strategies when there's less obstacles. So for example, when I'm teaching a strategy in math, I'm always going to start teaching the idea with small numbers. They're not off-putting to students. Students know one plus two equals three. And I can kind of show them these built-in strategies that they don't really require for those simple ideas. But the reason we start with the simple numbers is so that we can build upon the strategy when I'm teaching, when there's no other obstacles. So when going back to writing, this is exactly it. Mm -hmm. So when we're working with a younger crowd, we're doing this with something that's high interest. When they're older and they have to write a paper on something in history that they do not like, that's going to be a different story. And we'll have some more strategies going on with that. We're only on strategy number two, and we're going to give you nine over the next two weeks. So just hang in there with us. <laughs> the third strategy, which I believe there is no child too young for this strategy, is a brain dump. Now, Steph, I don't know if this is something you and I have just come up with, 
But I've called this strategy a brain dump for several years. Where did we learn that term, though? I have no idea. Okay, maybe it's something we created, but we're sharing it with all of you, and we invite you to use these words with your students. What is a brain dump? A brain dump is when you're looking at that blank page, and we talked about blank page anxiety last week, and you do anything you can, you write anything you can, so you no longer have a blank page. Meaning there are times when I say to my students, we're going to be writing on this topic. I just want a stream of consciousness brain dump, right? Whatever comes to your mind, just so that page is not blank. Sometimes this is timed. And I'll say to the student, you're eight years old, write for eight minutes. That can be a little long for an eight-year-old dude, but we'll literally set a timer And their number one job is to literally write that entire period of time. No breaks. At the end of it, we're going to examine what we actually have, and we're going to have to come in and give some structure or help them identify the themes that have clearly emerged from that brain dump. But this is just a way to avoid that blank page anxiety. Something else that I would add into the brain dump is conversation. Sometimes the stopgap for our students is literally the physical act of writing or the physical act of typing. A lot of times, and this is for you parents that call us and say, my kid can talk for two hours (laughs) on a topic, but then produces only two sentences in class. We have to use their ability and their verbal gifts to our utmost advantage. There are times when students who don't physically like holding the pencil or are not fast typers I'll say, talk to me, and I will sit there and I will write out everything verbatim. I make it a point not to edit their language. If you want to remove yourself from this activity entirely and you have a middle school or a high school student, teaching them how to dictate into their computer is really, really effective. You don't even have to have the screen open because it can be distracting to them to see their words getting produced on the computer screen, you can start the dictation and have your child look away and just talk for a couple minutes. Now, they think it's uncomfortable. They think it's awkward. But when they come back and they see that they have half a page of content there, they don't care about the awkwardness because we've gotten them started. And really, when it comes to writing, we do whatever it takes. That's why I'm saying if you want to be the transcriber, be the transcriber. But remember, our ultimate goal is to teach our kids these skills and strategies so that they can go off and do it on their own. But they may not be ready if they're just starting with dictation and talking out loud. Steph, what would you add? I was going to say, think about a brain dump as you adults. If you're sitting down and you have a lot of things going on in your brain and you're trying to remember all the things that you have to do. Perfect. Take a minute. Do a brain dump. Sometimes when I can't sleep – I wake up and I write down all the things that are going on in my head that I'm thinking I can't forget about tomorrow or that I need to do. And this is a really good strategy just for you guys to take care of yourselves too. And do it alongside your child because then they're seeing that you're doing the same thing. And it doesn't have to produce an essay or some sort of writing assignment. Sometimes it's just about doing some self-care and getting your brain in a better space to do whatever it is you need to do next. So especially if anxiety is high, sometimes I have kids when they come in and they're just a wreck about something, I have them do a little brain dump about how they're feeling 
and getting those feelings out. So I want to be clear that you can use a brain dump for so many different things. I do the same thing. And there will be times between Steph and I where one of us is feeling really overwhelmed and the other one will just text back or say to them, you need to do a brain dump. And then we text back 10 minutes later and we're like, (laughs) did you do it? And because Steph and I have so many intersecting projects on our Venn diagram, going back to my earlier analogy, oftentimes it's useful for me to know what she's stressing about because I can usually take something off her plate or say to her, I mean, Steph, it sounds like we're like in a romantic relationship the way I talk about us sometimes. But like I can say to her, this isn't a priority right now. Let's move on to something else. I know that Adam and I definitely have moments where we're like, okay, let's choose not to be stressed about that. But it's written down. My big fear is forgetting. Yeah. And that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from is forgetting to do something. Mm-hmm. And I have so many plates up in the air. That analogy of like the spinning plates dude yeah. on Third Street Promenade yeah. again is coming up. That a brain dump is really a huge tactic that has proven itself to be very helpful. I have this book called Unjournaling that I got for older kids that are very anti-journaling. Like when I say, let's journal for a second, and they roll their eyes. Or they're just completely, you know, heels in, do not want to do it. Again, we will link to it in the show notes. There's this unjournaling book. And... One of them is asking a question and you're not allowed to use the word me or you do have to use the word me in every sentence or something. And it's asking these questions that are just a little bit different and it's not so forward so that we're turning kids off. I feel like a lot of resistance is to things that have been difficult in the past. So when you're saying to a student, let's journal, and the benefit of that would be literally just practicing all the elements of writing simultaneously, but journaling in the past has been difficult, this is a way to kind of untie that really tight knot of rigidity Mm -hmm. and resistance. Mm -hmm. For the older kids, for sure. Strategy number four for writing, and we've talked about this, the power of talking it out. So here's the thing. When I get calls from parents that say, my child is having a difficult time with writing, and, you know, they sit there and say, I'll ask if they haven't told me, but sometimes they'll sit there and say, yeah, my my child can talk to me for hours about the subject, and then they put two sentences to the paper. And mm-hmm. I think that you really need to recognize that the important thing is that they can talk about it for several hours. That is important. Eventually, we'll be able to get it down to the paper. If they were having trouble coming up and being able to discuss it for several hours, there's a different issue. Yeah, exactly. So, and since we're just talking about writing, just know that if your child can form the ideas, that's great. Now, depending on what your relationship is with your child, you can absolutely type it out for your child or have them do voice to text. That's a great tool. So sometimes when I get kids that are really slow typers, I will just sit there and let them do it however long it takes. And sometimes it's okay that it takes a little while because we're doing it in segments. One of the biggest things that I preach with the kids is that I don't want you to sit down and do everything all at once. Preach. Right? We're scaffolding. So let's do a little bit. So let's try. Let's try for a few minutes and see how it goes. And if your child is comfortable with you writing it for them, great. 
I just know that some children are not. So if not, then maybe they do physically write it or maybe they draw pictures until they're ready. Whatever steps you need to take to get them there, but you will eventually get them there. One other thing, and we're going to be wrapping up this episode in a second and be sure to listen in next week as we're going to give you even more strategies for your students. But whatever that stopgap is for your student, and for a lot of students is the physical act of writing, they're not great typers yet, or a lot of my students personally really are poor spellers and become hung up on misspelling as they're typing. Yep. Give them permission to make the mistakes that they are afraid of making. If you have a kid who becomes very focused on the spelling errors, because that's something that's really pointed out to students also. We, we have a tendency to really focus in on those errors where other errors like grammar and punctuation might actually change the meaning of the sentence and spelling we usually can decipher. But if you have a student who's worried about misspelling, then give them permission at the beginning to say, right now, we don't care about spelling at all. In fact, we're not going to care about spelling until right before you're turning this in, if they are. And just say, we're going to push off these things that are difficult until the very end. And adding to that is that sometimes when I'm working with kids who are very anxious about it, I might have them write all of this and I will tell them at the beginning, I'm not going to read it because we're not there, you're not there yet or you don't want me to, only if you want to show me so that they start feeling more comfortable with doing this on its own for one and number two, feeling comfortable showing others because I've had kids in the past who don't turn in assignments even though they're done just because they don't want their teacher to read it. Because they're embarrassed. And I think that brings up a really good point that... I don't know if we talk about enough on this podcast, but as educational therapists, we tend to focus on weaknesses. And with weakness comes intense vulnerability Mm -hmm. and oftentimes really damage self-concept and self-confidence. So being sensitive to that, and I will also add exposing your own vulnerability to your clients. I can't tell you, because I work with clients with math-related anxiety or avoidance. I work a lot with students with writing avoidance as well. But I talk about my own journey as a math student a lot because now look at kind of the trajectory that I've been on Mm -hmm. and it makes them feel safe and it makes them feel heard and understood and kind of, I mean, not to be super Brene Brown about (laughs) this, but understanding the vulnerability of somebody else and kind of what that does to a person emotionally and that that is the only way to really have growth is really, really being a compassionate responder to a child's academic avoidance. While, I mean, we're not in the home parenting, and it's obviously much easier said than done. But as we always say, if a student could be doing better, they would be. For sure. And if your student is really avoidant and doesn't want to do this with you at all, a really good tip is to read a book together And at the end of the chapter, talk about what they liked about the chapter and start there. And then you can build using some of the comprehension strategies that we've talked about in other episodes about how to ask questions and how to go from there. But if you just start with what they like, 
that's a really good jumping off point. And then you can go to things like writing a different ending or can you write the next chapter or whatever it is that is going to be helpful for your student. Whatever their entry point is. Yes. That's where we're going to meet them. Meet them where they're at. So again, if you want to connect with us, you can connect with us. We seem to be spending a lot of time on Instagram with you guys lately. <laughs> so our Instagram handle is at Learn Smarter Podcast. And if you're interested in having one-on-one time with Steph and I, be sure to go to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com and click on the work with us link. And we will see you next week with more strategies. See you next week. <laughs>